Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, this is, um, this is a very important item to me as a pastor. It's my brown leather notebook. And I know when this notebook comes out, um, I'm either going to have a very sobering, sad day um, or a very, very uh, celebratory, exciting day. This is my wedding and my funeral notebook. And if you're a pastor, uh, you have one. And the weird thing about being a pastor is that we get to be with people on their most exciting day when they say, I do, and also on their saddest day um, when they say goodbye to a loved one. And uh, I've done my fair share of both weddings and funerals. I don't do them too much anymore. Um, but weddings always have this way of, of giving me fresh perspective. And I always walk away from a funeral asking myself a question that I want to start off by asking you. And it's just this simply, what do you want said at your funeral? What sorts of comments and words do you want spoken at your memorial service? After you've run your race, after you lived your life, what's your metric for I lived well and I finished well? And you would think that the answer to that question would be different depending on who you are, but it's not. It's the same with every single person. I've done funerals for people I've never known. I've done funerals for people that are very, very close to me. My, my grandfather, my cousin, a close friend. Um, sometimes the death happens very quickly and suddenly, and I don't get to talk to the person. Other times I get the, the honor of speaking with someone a few days or even a few hours before they pass in to the next life. And after a funeral, I'll open up this notebook and I'll kind of set the stage and read some scripture. And I always invite people to come and share. And to a T, every single funeral I've ever done, no one gets up and shares anything that I was worrying about the moment that I walked into that room. No one shares a topic that I spend a lot of my life thinking about. No one gets up there and says, I'm so glad and honored to know this person because they were so gifted at making a whole lot of money. They don't say that. Or I mean, I, I'm just so proud to know this person because they spent so much time at work and so little time at home. Or they had the biggest social media following of anyone I've seen. Or their, their body was in perfect shape. That's, that's not what they say. It's always way more simpler than that. And in the good funerals, the God-honoring ones, because there's, there's not so good funerals I've been a part of, but it's just two things. It's this person loved God with their heart, soul, mind. They loved Jesus, and they walked with Jesus, and they talked with Jesus. And because of the way that Jesus loved them, they loved me that way as well. They loved others. They listened they served others. They took time out of their day to help me through a hard time. And it seems after doing so many funerals that this really is the metric for a life well lived. The people that I get to speak to moments or days before they die, the ones with the least amount of fear, the ones with the, the least amount of regrets are the people that love Jesus with their whole hearts and loved others. And I kind of re-realize this every single funeral I do but then I just walk away, and life gets busy, and I start thinking, it can't be that easy. Like, surely there's something more I need to be doing. 
Surely there's something more to this metric. Surely it's more complicated for living a good life and finishing well, and I get busy and doing a hundred different things that I think I should be doing and forgetting that there's really just a handful of really important things that matter in this life. You ever feel that way? Well, this week as we wrap up our series in Daniel, we're going to see a person finish well. We're going to see the last season of a person who runs the race all the way to the end, who's about an inch away from the finish line, and who runs the majority of their life in an incredibly hostile culture, just constantly being tempted and pressured to stop running, to abandon the race, and yet they still run and they finish well. And we're going to see just what it takes to live that type of life. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, if you're just joining with us, we've been studying through the life of Daniel, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4. We're going to skip 5 and go to 6. Um, and then the weird prophecy starts. So we're going to skip that. Maybe we'll do that next year. Um, but we followed him from when he's 15 years old, living in a godly home with godly values and godly priorities. And we've watched him kind of be kidnapped and set down into a godless place with godless values and pretty severe consequences for following after his God. And what we've seen is there's a lot of parallels between what Daniel experienced in Babylon and what we are experiencing here in America. And if you miss some, you can just go to YouTube, go to our website, you can catch up. But I've kind of summarized some of the lessons that we've been through. Kind of put a list together. You don't have to take notes. This is going to be on social media this week, but it's kind of the Ten Commandments of how to be faithful in the midst of a hostile culture or instructions for thriving in Babylon. You ready? Here's what we've been talking about. Number one, resolve where you will draw the line before the crisis comes. Number two, obey God and leave the results up to him. Number three, practice respectful non-participation. Number four, remind yourself that God is in control, especially in Babylon. Number five, look for the people God has brought you to through your persecution. Number six, put the word of God in your heart now so you can recall it later. Number seven, remember God's faithfulness in the past so you can move forward with courage in the present. Number eight, view your suffering and obedience as a way for people to encounter God. Number nine, love your enemies. You'll never influence the people that you hate. And then number 10, what we went over last week with compassion and courage, speak the true gospel of Jesus and then get out of God's way. Those are the truths that we've been learning. And in Daniel chapter six, we're gonna see the results of a life that followed these commandments to a T. When we jump in, you might not know this, but Daniel's 80 years old in chapter six. So he's been in Babylon for 65 years. So at this point, he wouldn't have even a hint of a Hebrew accent when he talked. Um, you couldn't pick out him and his family as foreigners in a crowd. He's very adept and comfortable with the, the cultural realities of Babylon. But he lives a very different sort of life, right? He follows weird dietary restrictions. He follows a different moral code. He worshiped a different God. And you would think after 65 years of living in Babylon, living this different sort of life, even though he spoke the language and followed some customs, that would put him at odds with some people. Or you think at least that it would, have, it would have cost him some leadership roles because he was so clearly an outsider or an outcast. But as we jump into chapter 6, what we'll see is the opposite is the case. Look, at me, look with me in verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius, I'll tell you who that is in a second, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. 
and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And so at this point, Daniel served underneath three kings. There's Nebuchadnezzar, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. There's Belshazzar, which we skipped over in chapter 5. You should go back and read it, kind of similar to chapter 4. And now there's Darius. And he stayed a part of the inner circle of all of these kings. He's continued to be one of the leaders that they trust the most. And he's served so well, apparently, that he's moved up in leadership. He's moved up in trust. He's moved up in influence with each king. Which begs the question, how? Like, how does an outsider, a worshiper of the God of the Bible, keep this sort of influence? Well, think about it. What is the number one priority of a good king? Not a bad king, but a good king. It's his kingdom. Right? It's his people. His highest priority is that his people are protected from enemies, that they have enough food, they have enough water, that, that, that poverty and sickness is low and prosperity is high. And apparently, David has the exact same priority. He cares about the kingdom, about Babylon, just as much as the king does. If he didn't, the king wouldn't have set him over all of it. And the reason Daniel cared so much about the kingdom is because God cares about the kingdom, the city of Babylon. See, this is so important. When you're living in the midst of a culture and it starts to turn hostile on you, there's, there's this gut reaction to react in one of two ways. It's natural reaction. Number one is isolation. Everyone say isolation. It's where you run away from any danger or hostility whatsoever. And you surround yourself with people that look like you and think like you and you just do this little holy huddle until the hostility's over or you die, okay? That's an option. But there's another reaction, and it's not isolation, it's retaliation. Say retaliation. It's where you treat your culture the same way it treats you. It's where they cuss you out, you cuss them out. They hit you, you hit them back. They hate you, you hate them. It's where you start a war with the very people that God has sent you to influence. But there's a third way. And it's the way that Daniel chose. Because it's the way that Daniel's God commanded and it's the way of transformation. Say transformation. It's not the way of isolation, not the way of retaliation, but it's the way of staying right smack dab in the messy middle and loving and pouring your heart out and sacrificing and working for the good of a city and a people that hate you and don't love you in return and fight back. Quick Bible history real quick. Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. Those are all Bible books because they're also real people. And uh, they were contemporaries. They lived around the same time. Jeremiah was a little bit older, a lot older um, than Daniel and Ezekiel. And it's, it's uh, possible, probable actually, that Daniel and Ezekiel had heard uh, Jeremiah preach before the Babylonian invasion. Now the Babylonian invasion happened in certain waves. Daniel was kidnapped during the first wave and taken to the palace to serve the king. Ezekiel was taken to a second or third wave. And he was taken to the rivers of Babylon where he completed slave labor on the canals. Um, but um, both of them would have had constant news of Jeremiah's ministry. 
Like his writings and his preaching, they would have, they would have stayed glued to that uh, growing up as 15-year-old boys into men in Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah was like the Billy Graham of that generation, just a whole lot sadder for reasons. Um, and so Daniel would have been very familiar with the book of, Dan- of Jeremiah, including chapter 29. Now we know some verses in Jeremiah 29, some of you do, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you. Right, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That's in the midst, the context of explicit directions for exiles living in Babylon. So if you actually go up to verse 4, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are directions, commands to Daniel and to us. Because in 1 Peter, he calls us the elect exiles as well. This world's not our home. So God's talking to Daniel and to us, we who live in a hostile culture. Here's the instructions. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So, hey, settle in. Get comfy because you're going to have some work to do. And what is that work? But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So God says to us, and he says to Daniel, I've put you here for a reason. I want you to love people that don't like you. I want you to bless people that revile you. I want you to sacrifice for people that can't stand you because that's the way that I love people. I love people that hate me. I love people that fight against me. I give people an undeserving type of love, and I want you to love them the same way that I love you. And see, Daniel took that seriously, and this is why he had so much influence and and could gain so much trust. And it's not just Daniel, it's Christians all throughout history. I compiled all these um, old quotes from like Roman non-Christians about how crazy Christians were, but we would be here for like a long time. You're welcome, I cut them. But um, when there was a war, it was the Christians that would care for the victims of both sides. When there was a famine, it was Christians that would sacrifice and go without food to feed others. When there was a plague in the fourth century in all these Roman uh, cities, all the Romans were heading for the hills. All the Christians were running to the sick and dying and putting themselves in harm's way. It was the Christians that cared for the slaves and for the women, like second class citizens. It was the Christians uh, that would go into the woods and look for the babies that Romans had discarded as an early form of abortion. And they would take these kids and they would raise them as their own. In fact, the last pagan emperor of Rome did not like Christians. He was called the apostate, Julian. He said, those Christians, they care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Their praise is on everyone's lips. So Christians throughout the centuries have loved cities that have maligned and persecuted them. They practiced the lifestyle of Daniel so much so that all throughout history, Even if you hate Christians, you have to say, hey, even though we mock them, even though we hate them, even though we sometimes kill them, we cannot deny their love and their conviction and devotion for us. By the way, this is why we do a lot of the things that we do here at Hope. This is why we do that crazy thing like the Love Your School initiative, which you guys are knocking out of the park. This is why we do things like Homework Club and Backpack Buddies and Reading with Friends and Uh, fostering hope and uh, uh, the food pantry. And that's just what we do here in the city. That's not to to count all the countless ways 
that we work all across the world and partner with some amazing people. That's why we really believe that we're, we're here to help create families that thrive, whether you go to church here or not. That's why we offer as many marriage resources and parenting resources as we, as we possibly can. It's why we're doing the, uh, the parents' breakfast at Apex Campus, uh, Saturday, September 9th. If you've got kids from preschool to 18, it's for you. We want to help you parent your kids. And we firmly believe that we need to meet the needs of the community before they come to us. It's why, who was here during COVID? It's why during COVID, when everything shut down, we turned our three, back then, permanent facilities into virtual learning centers where hundreds of you guys volunteered hours, if not days and weeks of your life for primarily single parents to drop off their children in a safe and loving environment and you sat down between two unruly elementary school students and showed them how to click the mouse and for eight hours a day you just loved on those kids and made the shock not so bad. We don't have to do that stuff. We could be all about building bigger crowds and launching more campuses, but we want to be faithful to this, to God's word. And we want to be good stewards of the resources that you give us. We take that so seriously. The money that you give to us, we want to make the biggest impact possible. And God says that this is the way. Look at Daniel. Because he loved the city well, he moved all the way up to the second in charge of the whole nation. This love for this city that opposed them stood out. And people noticed. Because he loved God. And he loved others. But know this. As you're running your race, getting near the end, just because you love your city well, for a year or decade after decade after decade. It doesn't mean that people will always love you. Look at verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So see, Daniel's up for a promotion. What does that mean? It means there's a lot of people that aren't. And so they're jealous. And I used to think, I was dumb enough to think this, I used to think that stuff like jealousy and gossip and clicks, that's something that's like in middle school, high school, and you just kind of move beyond it, right? I taught high school for one year. Do you know that? I taught ninth grade, and I taught electives for middle school students. God bless you, teachers. I made it one year, and at the end, I walked away with one truth. I know where Satan resides here on earth. You want to know where? Seventh grade girls. It's true. <laughs> and you can get mad, but I've had to, and it proved the point, okay? But I thought that you would grow out of that at some point. Now I'm pushing 40 almost, not there yet. And I'm like, this is worse than middle school. And this is so important. Listen, when you think about finishing the race well, Satan doesn't stop targeting you just because you get older. In fact, the more mature and faithful you become, the more he targets you, just in more sophisticated and subtle ways. And sin doesn't go away just because sinners get older, right? It just becomes more messy and sneaky and the consequences get more severe. So Daniel's about as mature as you can be. He has integrity. He has character and work ethic. So much so that the only thing people can attack is his devotion for God. Look at what they say. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came, underline this word, by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed 
that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition or prays to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Once she signs it, can't change. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So Daniel's up for promotion. Means a lot of people aren't. So all these people get in a room together. These are politicians. And we just witnessed the greatest miracle in the whole book. Did you catch it? It's a bigger miracle than gaining weight on veggies and water. Bigger miracle than the, the signs and the dreams and the visions. Bigger miracle than, than I think Shakrach and Benny being rescued. It's a bunch of politicians getting together and they agree. Did you see it? They agree. Four times in this chapter, it says that they agree. They may disagree about absolutely everything, but the one thing they agree on is their opposition to Daniel and to his God. And as you run your race, you're going to experience this too. People that you thought loved you. Organizations you thought were on the same page. People you thought had your back. A group of people that you have sacrificed for or worked for, they will turn on you in a split second. Not necessarily because of you but because of the God that you serve. Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Since time began, people from all walks of life have joined together to oppose God. And if you follow him, you're going to get caught up in that as well. We're actually going to come back to Psalm 2 in a second. But look at verse 10. It says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God and underline this, as he had done previously. Now we've seen this before. This is Daniel taking a stand. He's drawing a line in the sand. I'm going to go this far no further. He's practicing what? Respectful non-participation. And this isn't like a public protest against the law on prayer. Uh, I read a bunch of commentaries and the windows in Babylonian houses were up very high and they were very small. So he didn't mean this to be public. He just wanted to see Jerusalem. Um, so the fact that he's caught, which spoiler alert, he does get caught, means that these satraps were hiding on the rooftops of other houses just waiting to catch him. So this isn't about a public protest. This is about the law of man versus the law of God. And Daniel knowing that no law made by man will ever supersede or ever gain his allegiance above the law of God. He's going to obey and he's going to leave the consequences to God. Now, we've seen that, but this is the line that caught my eye. I told you to underline it. It says, as he had done previously, or I love the way the NLT puts it, just as he had always done. So much wisdom here if you think about it. Okay, this is a brand new law. We've had them try to force them to eat stuff. Try to force them. You can still pray to your God, but you need to pray to this, this statue as well. But now this is do not pray to your God at all. Brand new law from a brand new political caucus that just formed. Signed by a brand new king. This is a brand new type of attack from the enemy. So I'm sure David had to be facing this temptation. Well, if this is a new attack, there's probably some sort of new response. 
Maybe I can use my newfound political power. Maybe I can uh, rub some backs and get some favors done, right? This is new. Maybe I need to change strategies or attack this in a different way. You feel like that sometimes? My kids come home with the, like my, my kids are in high school and middle school right now, and they're being exposed to things that in a million years I never would have imagined would even exist. And I don't know how to answer these questions, and it just seems like something new every week or every month. And there's something inside my heart like, well, we got to figure out something else. There's got to be a new strategy as a Christian parent. There's got to be a new tactic as Christ followers in America. But look at, look at what Daniel does. He just keeps to the same path. The same old path that he'd always walked, the same path that his parents walked, the same path that the parents before him had walked. He's like, God, you've told me what to do in here, and it works in every generation, in every geographical area, in any time period. And that's what Daniel does. He just keeps doing what he's always done. He goes and he prays three times. And he fans that flame of his love for God in his heart. You know what he probably does as well? He prays that he could love others the same way that God loved him. Probably prays for the good of the people that are trying to kill him. He doesn't make a new plan. He doesn't adjust the strategy. He doesn't seek a new paradigm. He just does what he's always done. Love God, love others. I'll just keep doing that. And we kind of see what happens. The, the satraps spy on him. They go to the king and say, hey, you know how you signed this law? Yep. You know how you can't change it at all? Well, Daniel, that pesky little guy from Jerusalem, he's refusing to pray for you. And he's praying to another God. And the king's freaked out because he likes Daniel. He tries to figure out a way to actually release him from this, um, this, this execution, but he can't. And so it says this in verse 16, Then the king commanded Daniel, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And underline this, a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No eating, no diversions were brought to him. He tosses in his, he turned, sleep fled, fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions and as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. Shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Just keeps doing what he's always done. And wouldn't you know it, the strategy works. And that's actually usually where we stop the story, at least in Sunday school. You know? Because I don't think we want to put the next part on a flannel graph, but I would like to see it, right? Like Michael Bay directed flannel graph sort of stuff. Look at verse 24. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones into pieces. Listen, any person or organization that opposes God, it's going to fail. It might look like it's succeeding or prospering for a moment. Remember Psalm 2? 
the kings and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. You know what Psalm 2.4 says? He who sits in heaven laughs. You can fight against God all you want, but you can't win. And then it says this. Then the king Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. He wrote a letter to everyone that lived on the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of lions. And then it ends, verse 28. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. That's four kings. One person who had conviction, obedience, faith, was able to have influence with four separate kings of two separate world powers. And those kings influenced the life of their entire kingdom. And in America, where Christians are losing influence, why could that be? Well, you read this book and there's some hints. Maybe because we've chosen comfort over loving our cities. Maybe because we've chosen popularity instead of obedience. Maybe because we've chosen tweeting instead of caring for the poor. Or we spend a lot of time protesting laws against prayer instead of praying in the quiet place. I'll let you answer those questions. I I don't know. But I want to leave you just one thing as we wrap up the series. And hopefully it's a comforting thought. How do we thrive in a place like Babylon? How do we run the race well? so well, and we end well until we hand that baton to the next generation and they do well as, uh, they, as well. Well, Daniel just told us, and it's a lot easier and uh, uh, less complicated than we think. We just keep doing what we've always done. We just keep loving God with our hearts and our mind and our soul, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. No new strategy, no new direction, no change of tactics. We just stick to the plan. That's worked pretty well for a few thousand years. We just love God and love others as best as we possibly can. Well, what if so-and-so gets elected? Well, you just keep doing what we've always done. Well, what if they outlaw this or they mandate that? Well, we just keep doing what we've always done. What if they round us up? And they start killing us like our brothers and sisters in parts of Africa and Southeast Asia and the Middle East. We just keep doing what we've always done. Love God with our hearts and our soul and our mind and our strength and our neighbor as ourself. And the enemy has no answer to that. And know this, the enemy's furious right now. He's cornered. He knows his days are numbered. And he hates you. And he hates me because he hates Jesus. And he hates his brothers and sisters. Hates the church. In fact, 1 Peter calls him what? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he is loud and he's angry and he looks dangerous. But you see the parallel? You see the parallel (laughs) where Daniel went into a den of death and there are people outside wondering who's going to win? The lion or Daniel? Daniel or the lion? Who's going to win? And the same thing happened 2,000 years ago, right? 
where Jesus, our king, went into another den and another stone was rolled away. And people were wondering what in the world is going to happen. He was taking on the lion, not a handful of earthly ones, but our ultimate enemy, sin and death. And not just for one night, but for two nights and three days, people were wondering. But that morning, 2,000 years ago, the king did not have to command the, the stone to be rolled away, did he? Because it, the angels did it for him, right? Because the grave couldn't hold him and death couldn't handle him. And Jesus rose victorious over death, hell, the grave, anything that can separate you from God or harm you on your way to get them eternally in your spirit. So hear this, hear this. Satan, the lion, our enemy, his mouth has been shut by Jesus Christ once and forevermore. He's lost. There's nothing that he can do. No plan will prevail because of Jesus Christ. So how do we run the race well? How do we keep on running to the very end? We simply stay the course. We keep our hope in God. We keep our faith in Jesus. And we keep our love for other people. And we leave it up to God. And if I can be honest, I get up here and I talk a long time longer today than others. And there's some questions that I know the answers to, but a lot more that I don't. I do not know how to answer half the questions my daughters ask me. I don't know how to answer questions about politics. I don't know what's going on with that. This gender stuff and sexuality and identity stuff, I, I have no idea. The rise in anxiety and depression, the thought that we are just one little church in a big old world with brokenness and with darkness. I don't know the answers to a whole lot of questions, but I do know what God's commanded me to do, to love him, and I do now more than ever in my life and to love others. And I'm doing that the best that I can. And some days it just seems like there's, that's just a drop in the bucket. And there's so much more that needs to be done. Hear me, there is a lot that needs to be done and Jesus has already done it. And he's doing it right now. And one day he's gonna fix all of this and he's gonna welcome you into heaven. And you get to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You ran the race well. You fought the good fight because you love me. And you loved others. And that's what counts. And the same is true of you. Just keep doing what you've always done. And when the race is over and a pastor takes out one of these things, <laughs> that's what you're going to hear at your funeral. Man, she loved God. He loved God. She loved me too. He loved me too. And God's going to use that in a million different ways. And what excites me, and you should know this is hope. You're, you're so good at this. Not hope as a whole, but individuals I'm looking, yeah, hope as a whole, but the individuals that make it up individually in your own life. You're different than any other congregation, and you need to know that. After planting a church, this is the only place we wanted to come back because you love God, and I can see it in your eyes. And you love him more now than when I started here back in 2009. And you love others like nobody's business. It's the most loving congregation I've ever been a part of. And it's an honor just to play a small part in this. So if you're not involved, if you're not hopping in, man, you're missing out. And the next series is for you. So next week, King in the Kingdom. We've wrapped up Daniel. Maybe we'll come back to it later. But be here. Be here all five weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we just scratched the surface of the book of Daniel. Father, would you use it in our hearts? You say your word does not return void. If there's anything that I've said the past five weeks 
that aren't true or don't line up with your word, I pray that it just be forgotten forever. But Father, I pray that you use this word to give us a foundation. Not when we look in the coming years at all this hostility and all this, this growing angst in our culture, people would look at us and be like, hey, how do you hope so much? How do you, how do you love so well? How are you so consistent? And it's just because of Jesus. So we love you. We praise you. And this is in his name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.